0: I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse your whole nation because uh, you are robbing me. Bring the the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty." And all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty.
1: Thanks, Robin. Oops. Okay, you look like you're really cool and down with the kids. So uh, I'm going to give you a little test on it. See how good you are at some commonly used abbreviations used on social media. Or in text, okay. So, got a few of these. Thanks, Graham. TBH. To be honest, okay, Paige, now you're going to have to give everybody else a chance because you're probably the coolest one here. BTW. By the way, well done, Margaret. I C Y M I. Oh, that's more challenging. Any takers? Well done, in case you missed it. Uh, YOLO. Come on, everyone knows this one. You only live once, YOLO. Uh, One of my favorite comedians tweeted, let's hear it for reincarnation. Hashtag YOLO. (laughs) You only live once. But here's one I want to talk about this morning. FOMO. Does anybody know that one? Fear of missing out. Fear of missing out, FOMO. It's the idea of... Living life um, and doing loads of things to make sure that you, as much as possible, don't miss out on anything. The trouble is, whatever you do is always with that sinking feeling that someone somewhere is having a better experience than you. Uh, it can be like in small things. I get it every time I go in Aldi. Which checkout queue should I choose? This one. Oh, this lady's returning something. It's the most complex return ever and we're going to be here for a good five minutes and the other one's gone much quicker. Um, So big things like supermarket checkout, always choose the wrong one. Or big things like uh, who you marry or what career you pursue. And in today's passage in Malachi, we once again see that God's people, Israel, returned from exile, are still suffering from FOMO. They don't really believe that God has got their back. They don't really trust that God is going to bless them. They stop thinking that God's love for them is going to make any difference at all. Look, they don't want to openly reject God, you know. They're still going to the temple. Um, But things are going, the wheels are falling off. Priests have been offering dodgy sacrifices. Their relationships between each other are showing a lack of faithfulness. And now their fear of missing out on something is leading them to dishonor God by shortchanging him with their offerings. So our outline today, I've gone with a financial theme, we'll look at guarantor, looking at how God is someone they can trust, dead certainly. We'll look at their investments, what they're investing in and what they're not investing in, and returns, thinking about the blessings available to them and to us. Guarantor investments returns, if you like, an outline. So first, guarantor. Looking at verses six and se- six and seven, it's always a bit on the end of news reports, isn't there? Um, all it's all gobbledygook to me. The financial report, all about the markets. You know, the Dow Jones is up because all ordinaries have been hit by commodities and a strong dollar, or it might have been a weak dollar or something. Whichever it is, it always seems to be bad news. But the trade stops, and there's a report of how things have been, you know, what the state of the economy is right now at close of business. And that's kind of what God's given them here in verses 6 and 7, uh, sort of like a state of play. Verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, "How is we to return? So Israel are demonstrating unfaithfulness to God because they're doubting God's character. But the truth is, it's only because God is who he is, only because of God's unchanging character of love justice and mercy. It's only because of how good God is, unchangingly, that they're still around to complain about him at all. So they complain about God, but actually their only hope is in the fact that he is much better than they accuse him of being. So when me and my sibling, they've got five sisters and a brother, when we used to fight and whinge at each other, mum pulls apart and say. It's a case of six of one and half a dozen of the other. In other words, you're both equally to blame. And that's what we reckon most disagreement, just disagreements are, don't we? That we get into ourselves, that both of us are partly to blame. But not here. God is unchangingly good. So if there's a problem between him and Israel, it's come from them. You know, in Malachi, we've got to the very end of the Old Testament. And in one sense, it's a bit depressing because nothing's changed. God is faithful, kind, merciful, and just. And his people, time and time again, all the way to the end of the Old Testament, ungratefully turn away from him, just like they've always done. But they've become so used to their own rebellion against God it's become kind of bland to them like like wallpaper that you don't even notice is there they don't even recognize how they've moved away from god and how a return to him is needed because sin's like that sin is very very deceptive and we tend to fool ourselves turn a blind eye so first time we commit a sin uh, feel a stab of conscience, a crisis of conscience. But before long, that stab of conscience becomes just a niggle. Uh, and then eventually it gets comfortable just leaving things as they are rather than facing up to the sin and dealing with it. So is that you this morning? And if you got a sin that you've just settled for because that's just easier, that's become so much part of the wallpaper you, you don't even notice it, well, chances are, if that's the case, you, you're not noticing it, you don't know. So ask God to bring it to mind so that you can return to him from it. And if we feel far from God, bear in mind, it's not him that's moved, is it? And I know this is always application, the practical advice every week. But if you, every pastor will tell you, when, someone asks, when you ask someone who says they feel far from God, If you say, have you been praying and reading your Bible? I'll say no, or not as much as I should. If you're just looking into God, you're not a believer, God is real, is our claim, the claim of the Bible. And the Bible tells us something something about him. And right here, Malachi, it tells us that he's solid. God is reliable. God is of good character. And he never ever changes that. God doesn't have off days. And he doesn't owe us. We owe him. We owe him our life. And he can be trusted with it because he is unchangingly good. For every one of us, the good news is, in his unchanging character, God says, return to me and I will return to you. Whatever we've done, whoever we are, whoever we've become, God's love for us is constant, unchanging. He always has and always will be about seeking to restore us into loving relationship with Him if we'll only return to Him. And you can do that today, turning away from your sin and trusting in Jesus to do the rest, to win your forgiveness. And make it so you can return to God. So Jesus is our God. Sorry, God is our guarantor. But let's have a look at the investments of His people and think about ours. Our next heading: Investments. Excuse me. God's people's response to God's faithfulness to them. So God's been faithful, His returning from exile. Their response is holding back on giving God the material offering, offerings they knew that He was due. They were in effect, effect attempting to rob God. Verse eight: "Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, "How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me." Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So tithe there, just to explain that, just means tenth, as in a tenth of what they produced. So for example, in Leviticus 27, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So tithes and offerings under the law for God's Old Testament people, Israel helps them to keep God front and center of their daily lives, a fundamental part of their economy. Giving this 10% away to God helps them remember that life isn't just about the good things that we enjoy, but about the good God who gives them to us. And so the Israelites in Malachi are trying to bless themselves by hanging on to that 10% that they should have known wasn't theirs to hold on to. That belonged to God. God was very clear about that. You see, God's covenant sort of promise deal with his people was that if they were obedient and keeping the law and giving these tithes and offering, offerings, he would give them in return more than enough, more than they needed. But they weren't trusting him to do that. They were dishonoring him by trying to game his system. They were dipping into God's share, and so God says they were robbing him. So let's ask ourselves first: is there any ways in which we might be robbing God? Well, we, we rob God when we don't give him what we owe him. And we owe him our love, our worship, our obedience, our, our whole life and sacrifice. We owe him our very selves. Why? Well, A, because he created us. He, he made us as our creator, um, to know, made us to know the goodness of relationship with him. And also because of the great price he's paid in redeeming us in Christ. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. See, God says, turn to me, return to me. But there's a price to be paid for allowing us to return to God. And it wasn't cheap. It cost Jesus his life. Cost him death on a Roman cross. We were bought at a price. So what ways might we be holding out on God? Well, how about our time? So Australians on the whole are not cash poor, although we're probably feeling poorer at the moment, but we do tend to be time poor. So it's easy to find it completely reasonable and argue ourselves with ourselves. Easy to convince ourselves to skip our Bible reading, to miss church, miss home group, miss catching up with someone. Uh, We might be holding out on God in our relationships. Choosing the quiet life, staying in control by keeping people at arm's length instead of loving them as Jesus would. Because it's risky, isn't it? It's costly opening up to people. They can hurt you. They can bring all sorts of complication into your life. But Jesus shared everything about himself with his disciples, and he's our example. And What about tithing? Just a quick word about tithing. Should we be tithing today? Is that a good guideline? The Bible's got lots to say about giving. We've got to remember we're not old, old covenant, old testament, testament Israelites, are we? We haven't got a priesthood or a temple to maintain. So, but is that ten percent? Is that a good guideline for us for today? Well, I want to t- suggest. The question, how much should we give, is the wrong place to start. Because that's based on the assumption that what we have is our own and that we give God a portion of our possessions. In fact, what God says is that everything belongs to him and we're simply stewards of it. We're just looking after it for him. So if we think of our possessions, our time, our energy as our own, we'll be more inclined to sort of hold on to it all and kind of consider it lost when we give some away. But if we think of everything we have as God's anyway, then we're freed to give it away and just treasure with thanks what free gifts from God we get to keep. But tithing, well, the New Testament doesn't tell us to tithe. Instead, the New Testament talks about being cheerfully generous and where you can, making sure people do not go without. And Christian economic thinking, we're to think beyond the close of markets. We're to think into eternity when we're thinking about what to do with our resources so that we're to be generous in giving the gospel every opportunity to go out. So there's some verses, that, again, there's lots more we could say about giving from the, Old Test, from the New Testament. But these from 1 Timothy are a good practical guide. 1 Timothy 6:17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they will take hold of the life that is truly life. So the thing is, I could set up any number of guidelines or rules before us, but what really counts is that being generous with our, our money, our time, and our relationships. What really counts is that's an outworking of a heart that is generous to God. So, just sort of diagnose ourselves. Ask yourself, do you have a set of entitlements in your head of what blessing looks like, of what God providing for you looks like? And we kind of feel God isn't keeping his side of the bargain if we're not there? Do you feel let down by God? And is it making you hold out on him? Or maybe being hurt by people or difficult circumstances and you find it hard to let go and trust God? Well, it's time to stop holding out on him. It's time to remind ourselves just how generous he's been to us, how much Jesus gave up for us. Jesus chose to be rejected by his own people, betrayed by his closest friends, suffering injustice, and be put to the worst death conjured up by humanity. He chose to go that way, giving up his place in heaven for death on the cross. From 2 Corinthians 8, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through through his poverty, you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus returns us to God. And let knowing that grace be what drives your generosity. His generosity to to us be what drives our generosity to him. So, on to our final section, returns. Just imagine you get home after church today and you find that your house is being robbed. You're wondering now, aren't you, if you locked that door? And they've not just taken valuables, but they've taken personal stuff as well. So stuff that's not inherently valuable, but it means a lot to you. Irreplaceable stuff. And eventually they catch the person, eventually, the person responsible, and you find it wasn't a one-off. They've done this in loads of houses in the area. And they're completely unrepentant. They want to keep doing it. What do you think should happen to that person? Well, What do you think God should do with Israel here? Because that's what they've been like to him over and over again. And yet here, God doesn't punish them. What he does instead is he represents the original deal that they had with him with an emphasis on the returns, on the blessings they can expect if they keep their side of the bargain. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So back in Deuteronomy, God had made a deal with God's people, a covenant with them, a promise contract. Choose to love and obey God, choose life, and they would enjoy the material blessing in the land that he's promised them. Lots of children, rich harvests, plenty of livestock. Or they could choose to disobey him and suffer curse. Curse. And despite everything, God's promise for them stands. If they're faithful, God will bless them with visible material prosperity. Now then, can we draw a straight line between the people in Malachi, the people that Malachi is addressing, and us today? You know, is a promise for us, like a prosperity gospel preacher will tell you, that if we give God $10, we'll get $100 back? Or ideas along those lines. No, Uh, and the idea stinks. Giving to God materially in order to receive back from God materially isn't really giving to him at all, is it? It's still making wealth the goal and God just the means to get to it. It's trying to put God in our debt. The passage we're looking at is to God's people who are being unfaithful to him because they reckon he's not blessing them enough. If we're giving stuff away just to get stuff back from God, we're basically saying the same thing to God, aren't we? We're saying, God, you know, your blessings, you know, Jesus and all that, that's nice, isn't it? But, um, you know, your blessings aren't quite up to scratch. Can you try a bit harder, please? So, what should we expect if we are faithful? in giving ourselves and our time and our money to God? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus promises us reward and suffering in the same sentence. And you can find lots of other examples like this. So Mark 10, 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, so no one who's given up everything for Jesus, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and, in the age to come, eternal life. So we're promised a mixed bag. In Luke's gospel, Jesus promises his disciples, some of you they will put to death. And yet he also promises them, but not a hair of your head will perish, and by your endurance you will gain your lives. a mixed bag. See, we live knowing that whatever happens in life, ultimately we are okay. The worst thing is never the last thing, because ultimately we have God's blessing. And for followers of Jesus, the promise, the certainty is even greater than it was for Israel. So Ephesians 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now we will only fully experience all those blessings when Christ returns, but Christ's rule has begun and these blessings are guaranteed in eternity. They belong to you now. Have a look at when we got them verse 13 and 14 from Ephesians 1. And you were also included in Christ when? When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That inheritance is definitely, definitely ours. That blessing is there for us. I think one temptation for us is to always feel like we need to experience a bit more blessing here and now before we really feel like God has our back. So for me, as your pastor, the temptation could be the magic number, 113. 113 It's a very important number. If you work out across our network, average incomes, giving rates numbers, households, who's in the household, punching all the numbers. And the stats tell you that in our network of churches, once you've got 113 adults and kids on your roll, your church will be financially self-sustaining. So the danger for me is that I'm waiting until then that there'll be a big sigh of relief, we'll no longer feel like it could all fall down tomorrow. And that's when God is really blessing us. What a load of old rubbish, isn't it? Because what a blessing this last three years has been already. What incredible things God is doing. And God's already given us every blessing in the heavenly realms. He already knows who he's chosen to come to Jesus through our church. Uh, Even if it all fell down tomorrow, he's already been blessing us so much as we faithfully just give it a go. So don't hang around waiting until God meets some arbitrary standard in your head where he's proving that he's blessing you. Don't be building resentment like those Israelites robbing God because in your assessment he's not delivered yet. Look instead to the blessings we already have. Eternal future secure. Loved and forgiven by God. Adopted into a family, one in spirit together. Jesus himself praying for you before the throne of God. Those blessings we already have. But I think a big, another big temptation for us, so holding back because we don't feel we're blessed enough yet, another big temptation is to hold back from giving our all to God for fear of missing out. And by the standards of this world, as we take up our cross, as we deny ourselves and follow Jesus, we will miss out. All the time and energy and resources we give over to church, we miss out on that. All that social ease that comes with fitting in and not standing out like a sore thumb. Imagine having every Sunday morning and an extra night of the week free. All that extra cash you'd have if we didn't give any away. All those things we miss out on. But so what? God's promise is not only that we're not missing out, but that we're blessed beyond all measure. And the best way to live is in light of and in line with that blessing. Receiving that blessing by faith. So that's why we're not apologetic about asking you to give your, your time and your talents and your treasure because we're doing you a favor. It really is a privilege to give to God. It's not an easy ride but it's a life of purpose which accords with the blessing that we already have. And the great irony is that if we hold out on God for fear of missing out well that's exactly when we're guaranteed to miss out if we hold out on God for fear of missing out that is when we will definitely miss out miss out now on living how he would have us live for our good and for his glory so to sum up don't rob God live generously towards him and others out of a thankful heart for Jesus' generosity to you. Don't rob God. Honor him by trusting him with everything you have, everything you are. And don't rob God. Follow Jesus' example of giving of yourself generously, knowing that God will use it to bring blessing. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your generosity to us in Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience, your loving kindness. Thank you that you never change. You never have an off day. We can always trust and rely on you. Please bring to mind for us sins that have become wallpaper, that we've dulled our conscience to, but you find offensive. We want to uh, love and serve you. We want to return to you. Please forgive us. Please help us to return to you. And please help us to make sure we're not robbing you. Please help us to know everything we have, all that we are, belongs to you, to manage that for you really well and to be generous from a generous heart, knowing your generosity. Amen.